Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. And I want to speak on letting go of control. Letting go of control. I don't know about you, but control is an issue that I have. I want to control things. I like things that I can control. Things that I can't control, I resist or I pull back from. Giving things control, it's a challenge for me. And I want to speak specifically tonight around trying to control God or trying to control who God is or wanting to have some level of control on your relationship to God, His relationship to others, how He interacts with people. And so some foundational scriptures uh, before I pray. These scriptures are really going to set us up for what I want to say tonight. And I'm going to start with some scriptures in Judges. And these are two scriptures that are four chapters apart but say the exact same thing. And the challenging part about this passage is that it's on the back of all of the Old Testament law that God in His wisdom gives the Israelite people, they have a thorough list of things, list of ways to live, connect with God, how to be wise, how to serve and love one another. They have an extensive list on what to do. And then the passage says this in Judges. It says, Judges 17 verse 6, In those days Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. This means so much more if you read the books before you get to this line. Um, I did this on my time off. I was reading a bit of the Old Testament, read all of the Old Testament law. You get into Judges and then you read this line and you go far out. And I'm speaking as, 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 you know, on behalf of all humanity, which, you know, I do from time to time. But I was like, can we not just obey God? Can we not just honour God? As if he had not made it clear enough on what we should do, we get to this line, everyone just did as they saw fit. Judges 21 verse 25. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. And the New King James Version, which is a little bit similar to the King James Version, this is the one you might know, which is, There is a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way of death. (laughs) Everyone did as they saw fit. There's a way that seems right to a man and it leads to death. Proverbs 16 verse 9 says, In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. And lastly, John 14, 6, before we pray, it says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we're going to do part one of letting go of control tonight. And uh, let's pray before we get stuck into it. Father, we just thank you that you're in this place. God, we thank you. You've got a great plan for tonight's service. No one is here by accident. Lord, you've got a desire to draw people to yourself tonight. Lord, you want to do something powerful and supernatural tonight. People that feel, Father, desperate. People that are hurting, God, you have willed that they would be here. So, Lord, they can hear from you. That, Lord, they would know that you love them. And, Father, may people be aware tonight, Lord, that them being here is you reaching out to them. 
in your love. And we just pray, God, for anyone here tonight who does not know you as Lord and Saviour. God, would tonight be the night that they open up their heart to you and receive you. And so we just pray, Holy Spirit, be moving right now in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Okay, so the six points on frustration. Let's have a look at them. Uh, these are important, I think, because what can happen is, is we can be surrounded by the goodness of God. We can be surrounded by possibilities, opportunity. We can be surrounded by good people in a good church, in a good family, with a good job. But then we can be in that position full of frustration. And it can almost seem irrational sometimes or strange that we're so unhappy or so tense or so frustrated with our life when things are seemingly pretty good. But it can come down to a few things. It can come down to us having a lack of control, a lack of purpose, a lack of focus, a lack of challenge, a lack of authenticity, a lack of points on the screen or a lack of perspective. And, and God factors into all of these, everybody, because with a lack of control, we want to have control of outcomes. We want to control how God moves, how He doesn't move. With a lack of purpose, it's us not relying on the purpose that comes from God. With, with a lack of focus, we're not focusing on God and the things of God. With a lack of challenge, it can be that the minute God brings something to us that is challenging, we avoid it and pull back. Um, some of the lack of authenticity is that we become religious with our faith. We become hypocritical or fake, that our Christianity becomes a performance. Um, and the last one is a lack of perspective. And it can be that we have allowed a hurt and offence and tiredness and circumstance to rob us of right view of God. And tonight I want to talk about lack of control. Now, <laughs> with controlling people, it's often wanting somebody to fit the mould of what we think they should do, how we think they should behave, how they should interact with us. People can change, but we want to control them, be like, you haven't changed, you're still like this. But we can do that with God. We think God should behave a certain way. We think that God should be a certain way with us. We think that our prayers should be answered in a certain way by a certain time. And we're talking to the God of the universe like we're giving him a little instruction like an errand boy to go and do something and get it done on my timeline. We, we can do it with each other, right? We can have this idea that if my wife, if my boss, if everyone did everything that I think they should do, things would be fine. Maybe it's just me. But sometimes we have that idea that if, if they would just listen and do exactly what I say, things would be fine. If my wife would just do exactly what I say, we would have no issues at all. If the leaders at church would do exactly what I say, things would be fantastic. If my boss would just do exactly what I, if my friends, whatever it might be. The problem with that is, is you're wrong and you're controlling and you might need an appointment with somebody. And I say that from experience. I've had to have a few appointments myself. But we want to control God. We want to control His actions. If God would do exactly what I think He should do, things would be fine. The world would have peace. Everyone would have food. There'd be no wars if He just did what I posted on Instagram. But we, we create a view or an image of God that fits who we think He should be. And if we're not careful, we start to worship an image of God that we created because it fits who we think He should be. 
We don't get to decide who God is. We don't even get to decide how we connect with God. We don't get to decide the attributes of God, the timing of God. You don't get to decide how you worship, when you worship, where you worship. God has decided that for you. If you're irritated by that, this message is for you. Now, people, all of us, you and I give something authority in our life. We make something or someone the authority in our life. And if you don't make it God, nine times out of ten, people make it themselves. Where I am my own authority. I am the authority. What I think, what I say is how it should be and how it should be done. How I think God is, that is God. Who I think God is, that is God. How I think God should behave, that is God. And if the God you're talking about doesn't behave like the God I think, your God's not real. And we say statements like this. If I was God, I would do this. I think God is actually this. God to me is this. If God is, in fact, X, Y, Z, I don't want anything to do with that God. If your version of Jesus is this, that's not my Jesus. My Jesus is this. It's a form of control. God, be how I want you to be. And God, only require of me what I'm prepared to give. And that is a form of Christianity that is running rampant amongst my generation and especially in Western culture where the real God is the one I've created in my mind who only requires of me what I'm prepared to give only demands the changes of me that I'm prepared to make and fits the parameters of what I think is good. But we don't get to decide that. The Bible tells us. If you have made yourself the ultimate authority, which most of society does, people become the determination of what is right and wrong. And we control terms and we control you know what has value what doesn't and we want to control all of that we want to control outcomes and we want to control God some religious systems um, and different belief systems and religions they're, they're more appealing to people than Christianity because you and your behavior are the determining factors to your righteousness or holiness And that's appealing because I've got some level of control over my closeness to God. So if I do the right things and say the right things, I, by my own decisions and actions, have become close to God. Whereas Christianity is one where we abandon that and say Christ alone has brought me close to God. If we have an issue with control, we don't like that because it's, hey, I want to play a part in that. Well, you played no part. You weren't there. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through Him. Now, part of the wrestle for control with God and faith are thoughts like this. There's no need for a way. The way, the truth, and the life, I don't need a way. There is no way. I'll make a way. My way is right. This is the right way. I don't need saving. No one needs saving. We don't need to be saved from anything. The only thing we need to be saved from is your idea of God who says we need saving. Does this sound like a lot of what's going on out there at the moment? I can do it myself. If you're a control freak, true Christianity is incredibly frustrating because true Christianity is an invitation to relinquish control. It's where I now submit to God. 
I surrender all that I am to God. I say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Would you make me a new creation? Would you be the master potter, like a piece of clay in your hands? Would you shape me into who you've desired me to be? Not my idea of who I should be, not an idea of God that I've created, but the God of the Bible, shape me into who you think I should be. I'm at the mercy of your hands and of your love and of your power. Any religion or religious belief system is difficult to navigate with control, but especially true Christianity, because it's not self-seeking. It's one of surrender. It's one where it's ignited not by your works, but by His. It's one where I willingly entrust my life into God's hands. Now, there's a difference between a life out of control and a life out of your control. But better yet, I term it like this, Better a life under God's control. We receive true freedom when we relinquish our need for control. When we say, God, you take the wheel. I like that expression. Getting out of the driver's seat, you take the wheel. Lord, take my life. Make of it what you will. Take me where you want to take me. Do with me what you want to do. That's when you experience true freedom. And we receive Christ when we acknowledge who He truly is. When we believe by faith who the Bible declares that He is. Not an idea of God that I concocted in my mind, formed by all of my lived experience and the 14 friends that I have that have never read the Bible in their life. I believe by faith in who the Bible says God is. Not an idea that I've come up with or someone's opinion, but the God of the Bible. And I say, Lord, not my will, but Your will be done. All right. Deuteronomy 12, verse 1. It says this These are the decrees and laws you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you to possess as long as you live in the land. We're going to fast forward just to verse 8. It says, You are not to do as we do here today, everyone doing as they see fit. Since you have not yet reached the resting place and the inheritance the Lord your God is giving you. But you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And he will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. (laughs) I love this. It says you will do this and then you will experience safety. Don't tell me what to do. Okay, then don't have the safety. Then it says in verse 11, Then to to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for His name, there you are to bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, and all the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord. And there rejoice before the Lord your God, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites from your towns who have no allotment or inheritance of their own. Be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings anywhere you please. Offer them only at the place the Lord will choose in one of your tribes and there observe everything I command you. Much of the Old Testament is a wrestle between God's chosen people, the Israelites, and Himself. Much of the Old Testament is a wrestling match and they simply wanted to do things their way. So God in His wisdom, His love, and His power, He pretty quickly establishes who is boss. And proceeds to spend chapter after chapter letting the people know this is how things are going to be done around here. That previous passage, it's a quick example 
that the people were not to determine that they worshipped, where they worshipped, or when they worshipped. Not to do as you see fit, anywhere you please. And then it says, observe everything I command you. He is the Lord God. Now, this is a, a stretch of an example, but hear what I'm saying. I'm getting to experience little similarities to some of these ideas on a small scale in parenting a toddler. <laughs> so Bianca and I have a two and a half year old son and he needs to know pretty quickly. He's not in charge. <laughs> he is not the boss. He does not run our household. He is not the determining factor on our stability or emotions or anything like that. He is not in charge of our house. He does not lead that place. His mum and I do. And to Micah from Bianca and I, it's, hey, you do not determine what you eat, where you eat or when you eat. You don't determine that you sleep, when you sleep or where you sleep. I am your father. And that sounds like the Bible, right? You don't get to decide that you worship, where you worship, when you worship. I am the Lord your God. As a parent, it's like, hey, you will eat what I tell you to eat. You will sleep where I tell you to sleep. I am your father. Now, people might say, well, that's controlling. I actually think that's leadership. And I actually think that's parenting. And I actually think that's how you raise a child. But I think that's how God works with us. Now, you may hear the reality of the situation in my voice because I'm not going to have a two and a half year old tell me how my house is going to work. But I imagine God in heaven saying, I'm not going to have a disunified, broken, corrupt people tell me how life's supposed to go. Is that God controlling them or is that God leading them? Is it perhaps that God knows best? Is it perhaps that He's trying to protect them, trying to raise them, even trying to save them? Now, I believe that in 20 years' time, this church will be blessed by the fact that we did not let him run our house because he'll be a functioning human being. Okay. Now, the wrestle between God and the Israelites is evident in the book of Exodus where Moses leaves them for all of 10 minutes. Oh, he's gone for a little bit. In that time, they create a golden calf, an image of God. They go and say, where's Moses gone? Is he coming back? Can we please just have something to worship, something to lead us? God gives them Moses, but they want an image. Then we get to the book of Samuel. Now they're in a situation where it's a theocracy, where prophets of God are leading the people. And it's, they're like, look, God, you've given us a prophet, but we want a king. We're unhappy with the way that God leads, provides and cares for us. But they underappreciated that God leads, provides and cares for them. Sometimes we do the same thing. We're unhappy with how God is leading us, providing for us and caring for us. And in doing so, we don't realise that God is leading us, providing for us and caring for us. Isn't that something to be celebrated? Not something to complain about? Listen to this. The, the Israelites in the Old Testament. Now, we can give them a hard time and be like, what are they thinking? We would have done the same thing. I know sometimes we're like, flipping Adam and Eve. It's like, listen, if I was in the garden, I would have had it all. I would have been smashing apples, you know. I know myself. So when we're laughing at the Israelites, we are there. We, we would have done the same thing. All right. How's this? The Israelites, God's people. 
They witness 10 plagues come upon Egypt by the power of God. They see the sea open up. They're led by a pillar of smoke in the day, fire by night. Manna comes down from heaven. Water comes from a rock. But hey, we want something else. (laughs) We would like a golden image that we can worship. Because God, you're not appearing when we want you to appear. You're not responding to us in the way that we want you to respond. We would like to control who God is and how God operates. I think he was operating pretty good. 10 plagues by the power of God come upon Egypt, opening up the sea, pillar of smoke by day, fire by night, manna from heaven, water from a rock, but we would like a golden calf on a stick. (laughs) Don't laugh at them, this is us. We would have been there. We would have been, here's a bit of gold from my tooth for the calf. You know, we would have done it. And then as that progresses, we see victorious battles. Joshua and the armies have got feats of strength, miraculous protection, prophets bringing the divine will of God to the people. But we would like a king now. We would rather, instead of having God speak to somebody, we'd rather have a person that we can see. We want what we want. And the Bible says that they were a stiff-necked, stubborn people. Now, for us today, this sort of approach to God can look like this. God, you're offering transformation to me, but I only ever really wanted improvement. So (laughs) you are offering to me and providing for me lordship overall, but I actually just want partnership. And I love this Timothy Keller quote. It's going to come up. It says, we want Jesus as a consultant rather than a king. You require devotion, sacrifice, humility. I'm not prepared to give that. Let's melt something and make a gold image. I want what you can give, God, but I just want to offer a portion of who I am, of what I have. We all say this, right, through our behaviours. I want to control the depth of my contribution, but want your best regardless. I'll take a version of God that I can control. A version that, to do that, we have to come up with. And then we start doing stuff like this. Let's look at Jonah. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. Now, Jonah's the reluctant missionary, not just because the flights were expensive. He didn't want to go. (laughs) Says this. When God saw what they did, speaking of the city of Nineveh, repenting, it says, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. How, how are we going there, guys? Okay. There we go. So God says, Nineveh needs to repent and turn from their sin or I'm going to bring destruction to the city. Jonah reluctantly goes there, so reluctantly so that a fish had to pick him up, spit him out. He goes in, he brings that message. The city repents and turns to God. This is the biggest win ever. And then Jonah chapter 4 verse 1, it says, But to Jonah... This seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is revealing that he didn't want to go on the mission trip because he knew that God would deliver the city and be gracious and merciful and turn from calamity. Wouldn't you think that's a good thing? But Jonah, in his mind, he thinks he knows better. These people deserve damnation and judgment and destruction. Look, it doesn't matter what Jonah thinks. What God thinks is better. 
We don't get to decide how God moves and what God does. I've literally heard people like say, oh, I, I know that's what God did, but I would have done this. And they say it with sincerity. And I'm like, you have lost the plot. Yeah. Romans 9 verse 14 says, what then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Now, this all might sound a bit random, but have you ever had that experience where you hear of someone turning to Christ and you're annoyed? She's like, that evil person? And we're like, they should burn in hell. Right? Just me. Okay. And you hear they get saved and then you're like, Flip. God, I knew you'd do that. I knew you'd be gracious. I knew you'd be merciful. That is a good thing. It's a good thing. God will show mercy on who He wants to show mercy to, compassion on whom He wants to have compassion on. We don't get to decide. It says verse 16, It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose. This is so interesting. That I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom He wants to have mercy and He hardens whom He wants to harden. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us for who is able to resist His will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what, is this up on the screen? Great. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? This is a great passage for right now. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use. What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. The book of Isaiah says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways. An expression of our desire to control God is to only accept Him or only pursue Him when we can fully understand Him. We only pursue God when we can fully understand Him or fully comprehend Him. Like that's something that's attainable for us this side of eternity. <laughs> Your inability to not know everything might be stopping you from knowing someone whose ways are higher. Yeah. The fact that you can't understand and fathom God, I think, is further evidence that He's God. If you want to understand God like you understand your cousin... <laughs> There's something weird about that. Your cousin's a person. God is God. If you want to know the ins and outs of God, like you know the ins and outs of your mum, I'm telling you, that's not the way to go about it. And I've got a great story in a second to drive that point home. But let's look at a little bit of Job. The book of Job's great in this area because the book of Job, let's all be honest, is very confusing. And again, it, it, this just reveals it again. We like books that we can understand. I don't understand Job like fully, so I don't read it all the time. <laughs> 
reinforcing my own message tonight. But Job is a poetry book, just so you know. It's not, it's not a narrative. It didn't actually happen. It's a poem. And there's a story in here of a behemoth and a leviathan. And it's all pretty confusing. Pastor Div's doing an eight-week series in a few weeks to unpack that. But... This is very good. Job 38 verse 1 to 7 says this, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm, and he said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? (laughs) That's a pretty good dig there, right, at Job. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. This is God asking Job some questions. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Now, these are rhetorical questions. He's not looking for an answer here, guys. Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. So God's having a laugh here. (laughs) Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Job 40 verse 1 says, The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. And 42 verse 1 says, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is, the, uh, who, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Yeah. I'll just read that last bit again. I love it. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. I've experienced this in two levels. I've grown up in a family where my parents are the senior pastors of a church and I felt like because I'd been a part of that church for 15 years, I could let my dad know a few things about how the church should be run. And I ended a conversation with a similar thing. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. The reality is, is that I had no idea, had no insight, how could I, into the happenings of a church, and yet I was proud enough and had some level of wanting to control what was happening enough to voice what I thought should be happening. I've done that with my dad, and I've had to say, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Listen, I've had to do that with God. I've told God what he should and shouldn't be doing, how he should be operating. I'm frustrated with his not answering prayers, answering someone else's prayer. Someone got saved, someone hasn't responded yet. I'm telling him what for. But at some point, I've got to get a good revelation in my spirit that God's ways are higher. I'm not going to understand everything he does and why he does it. And sometimes I speak of things I do not understand and they're too wonderful for me to know. I just read about how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. What is that about? I've got some understanding on what that's about. But anyway, at the time when I read that, I was like, why would God do that? If he didn't do that, none of the other stuff would have needed to happen. I'm starting to question God. God had something far more wonderful and glorious and triumphant planned through that process. That at the time, the Israelites could not fathom. That in 2024, when we read it, we can't fathom. But God knows. And I'm okay to not know because I trust in who God is. And it's not an idea of God that I cooked up. It's the God of the Bible. And I'm not trying to comprehend Him like I can comprehend a person. He is God. He is outside of time. He has no beginning, no end. He is pure holiness. I'm not going to understand everything He does. And you know what? 
That's okay. That's okay. I just invite the worship team to join me. I'm not going to read it now, but the book of Habakkuk, which is shout out to the book of Habakkuk. That doesn't get a lot of mentions on stage. <laughs> Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to verse 11, is essentially Habakkuk complaining to God and then God's response. And I encourage you to go and read it, but Habakkuk's got some good complaints and God's response is pretty confusing. <laughs> and he's got a plan, but the plan sounds crazy. But what I love about this book is that it is a prophet complaining to God and God responds. Yeah. And listen, I want to let you know, God can handle your anger. Yeah. God can handle your frustrations and God can handle your complaints. But the question is, can you handle your own anger? And can you handle your own complaints to God and your own frustrations? And how long for? Because at some point we have to abandon control. We have to relinquish the idea that I may never know this side of eternity why God is doing what He's doing, but I'm going to relinquish that to God because His ways are higher than mine. Much of the frustration you're feeling at your life at this season, at God and at church, it's a frustration because you've lost control over what's happening and that's okay. It's better that way. You should feel not a life out of control, but a life under the control of God. Where you relinquish the idea that I need to know everything. I need to have an answer for everything. I have to have an explanation for everything. I don't have that at all. And I feel freed by it. I know that one day when I die and go to glory, when I'm in heaven with God the Father for eternity, all things will be made known to me. And on that day, I'll be awesome. Good to know. I wish you'd have told me, um, you know, back then. But I don't know what God's response would be. Hey, I was doing something wonderful that you couldn't see. I was doing something in you. I was doing something for you. I was was working a, a, a grand master plan, a beautiful plan, so that God would be glorified and people would be saved. I love this story. I'm just going to close with it. I mentioned it before, but... Um, Yuri Gagarin, he was a Soviet astronaut when the big race to the moon was happening and the the Soviets actually got into space first. So he's the first astronaut to go into space and the the Soviet Union back then, it was communist Russia and the, the whole country was atheist and they were excited when he returned because he said, I ascended to the heavens and didn't see God. And so to them, they took that as further proof that God did not exist. So I went as high as someone could go. He's not up there. We're all good. And, and everybody cheered as atheists. No, atheists cheer like this. Oh, awesome. Like, so they're all excited. Um, but he, he saw that as as proof that God didn't exist. But what was great, at the time, C.S. Lewis was still alive. And he penned an essay in response to what had happened in Russia. And it's called The Seeing Eye. You can actually Google the essay. And, and he, he says this. He said, we wouldn't relate to God like someone on the first floor relating to someone on the second floor. We don't relate closer to God simply by going higher. He said, we would relate to God like Hamlet would relate to Shakespeare. If you don't know, Shakespeare wrote the story of Hamlet. Hamlet is a character that Shakespeare created and wrote into a story. And it said the only way that Hamlet would would meet Shakespeare is if Shakespeare writes himself into the play. How smart is C.S. Lewis? 
He's saying you don't get closer to God simply by going higher. The only way it's possible is if God writes himself into the story, like an author writing himself into the book that he wrote so that he can engage with the characters he created. And he said that the author of our story, the author of life did write himself into the story. He saw us lost, struggling and broken. And Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth like Shakespeare meeting Hamlet. Jesus met earth and that is how we can relate to God. The concept of trying to see God and touch God and all that, it has to be initiated by God. And thank God that He did. He sent His one and only Son from heaven to earth to be born in a manger at Christmas on the 25th of December, I'm pretty sure. Um, (laughs) Born of a virgin, lived a sinless life to touch humanity, wrote Himself into our story so that we would know who He is. And so that through the Bible, through the life of Jesus, we would know who God is. God is not a concept you have to try and think about. It's a person that you read about. It's not something that someone can just tell you because they had an epiphany in a cave in Yanship. We know the person of Jesus Christ and who God is because of what the Bible tells us. We don't get to control the narrative about God. We've got to relinquish control of who we think God is or should be. We've got to relinquish the perceived control that we have on our standing before Him. All we can do is simply surrender. We surrender and we receive. We say, God, I cannot do anything to become holy. I can't do anything to be righteous. I can't do anything within myself to get closer to You other than to give up the fight and say, I surrender before You, God. And I say, Lord, would You come into my life? Would you fill my heart with your salvation? Would you be Lord and Saviour? Not a partner, but Lord. In that that process, you forgo your strength, you forgo your abilities and your perceived holiness, but you receive His strength, His abilities and His holiness. It's when you surrender everything that you think you have that God gives you actually what you need. It's when you surrender the idea of who you think you are that God bestows upon you the truth of who He created you to be. Don't try and tell the clay, the master clay maker what you're supposed to be. He knows. He made you. He put together everything that is you with a great plan and a great purpose. You're on the planet for a reason and it's ordered by the Lord. We can make plans. A man makes plans in his heart, but it's God who orders his steps. And so tonight the question is, in humility, will you surrender to God? Will you say, God, I come before you tonight, empty and broken. Would you fill me? Would you, by your grace, by Jesus' death and resurrection, would you save me, fill me, forgive me, and take me on an incredible journey this side of eternity and into the next? Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us and special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. 
If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.